This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we are figuring out how the best investors in the world managed to create amazingly high returns, and we're talking 20% plus for their entire career on average, <laughs> and um, I mean, over double the uh, the stock market, which means massively more money in terms of like, you know, huge, gigantically more money, not in just the, double more in, money. Over, over many years, over yeah. Over many years. And they do that. This is the best part, you guys. What, what The reason we're really digging in on this is because you know, any moron can get higher returns by gambling and they'll just never tell you about all the money they lost. <laughs> and we can all I go to Las say, Vegas. I unless you're me who has never won anything gambling ever <laughs> in my entire life. So we, we, but we don't want to just gamble. What, what we want is we want to do it like the best investors do, which is they're getting these enormously high returns and they're doing it by all measures with lower risk than your mutual fund. They're actually investing in companies that have a lower volatility and lower beta than the average stock in the stock market. Um, at least Warren Buffett has been proven to have done that. And, um, and that's presumably impossible according to modern portfolio theory. So we have, we have something really fun here that, that the little guy can maybe take advantage of. At least that's what we're seeing is little guys are able to. Um, by investing in a similar kind of way, which is to do the four things Charlie Munger said you got to do. Understand the business, make sure it has a competitive advantage, make sure management's great, and buy it on sale. That's it. Simple. That's what we're figuring out how to do. We're unfolding that over low these many years. <laughs> <laughs> it is low these many years, isn't it? Yeah. And we just finished off last time talking about this sort of large impending doom that has just been just a few weeks ago was predicted by um, this very famous investor called Michael Burry, who is kind of a long-term investor. Also, That's what he's called. His actual name is Michael Burry, (laughs) but he's called Michael Burry. (laughs) See, I've started having Britishisms since I live in Europe now. (laughs) Mm. I understand you're called Michael Burry, Michael. (laughs) That's right. I am called that. That's right. Michael Burry is is is. We are. Here's another one that I found myself saying. We're quite lovely to have talking about. This makes no sense. We're quite. I was. I was like, oh, I'm saying quite a lot. We're quite lovely. We're quite lovely. We're. well, you certainly are quite it's lovely. Quite, it's quite right. Like I found myself saying that it's the other day. Right. Quite right. And it's yeah, I know. You get around normal. a bunch of Australians pretty soon. You're saying mate all the time. And <laughs> and you don't realize that we have the same thing going on entirely. We go, hey, man, how you doing? Oh, mate, how's it going? Right? Oh, that one is very clear to me because my husband, who's not British or American, uh, in his English, says, 
mate, like, cause he learned British English, but then, which I hear him say often, but then when we go to America, he switches it out for man. And I never heard anybody do that before until him. And it's so weird to like hear it's that switch. It's, it's total code switching. Like it's code pretty... switching is such a real thing. There's a guy who travels internationally on a regular basis right there. That, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty darn good and has to interact on, on so, uh, the home level. Yes, yeah. That's so right. back to the point. Well, plus he, you know, wants to be cool around his American family. He is Which cool. He is cool. Around your husband his is the family. coolest guy. I love your husband so much. I'm the luckiest father-in-law. Oh, that's sweet. Ah, that guy is so, amazing. Michael Burry, a guy called Michael Burry, because that is his name, <laughs> is a very famous investor because uh, the book, The Big Short, which Michael Lewis, a guy called Michael Lewis, because that is his name, wrote the book <laughs> called The Big Short, featuring Michael Burry and his excellent decision to bet against the entire housing market in the U.S. and uh, Which made him $1 billion, by the way. Yeah. So... The guy but is that's like not the super only duper reason. smart. He's super smart. And the reason that he was in a position to make a billion dollars in the first place was because while he was going to Stanford Medical School, this is how uber smart this guy is, while he was going to Stanford Medical School, he was pretty much being a full-time investor with um, his own capital, and he was writing a blog about it. And New York people in the hedge fund industry picked up on it. The word got around that this sort of crazy guy at Stanford Med was making some very good, insightful predictions and analysis. And so eventually several hedge funds gave him a pile of money. And um, that was because he was just such a great investor and has continued to be a great investor. So we pay attention to what he's doing and what he's saying because he's one of the people that makes money in the markets very similarly to what we do. And what we're trying to uh, understand more fully on this podcast, what we're trying to teach you guys, uh, Burry is an absolute uh, example of the kind of investing that is relative to the market, low risk, high return investing. He invests in a very small number of things that he researches intensely and understands the way you would understand your business if you were to you know, become a franchisee for McDonald's. You know, you just wouldn't put all of your family's money into something like a McDonald's franchise unless you really understood what you were doing and you were very confident you were going to be successful. And that's exactly what these guys do. I think that's pretty much how he invests, yeah. And if you missed the last few episodes where we talked about him and and his comment uh, that the essentially the worldwide financial markets could have another crash much like the one in 2008 due to ETFs. If you miss those episodes, go back and listen to them so that we're not going to completely recap everything here. But that is his comment that he thinks that the uh, intense amount of money that's in index funds and exchange traded funds, because they merely track the underlying stocks, uh, and people aren't individually owning the underlying stocks that when a sell-off starts, everything's going to get sold all at once because that's the only way you can possibly do it with an index fund or an exchange trade of fund. 
and it won't be bit by bit, which even like in a typical crash, bit by bit still causes a crash, but he thinks that this is going to be worse. And he's not the only one who has made comments about these concerns. Yeah, it's, so, it's pretty, it's, it, it, he's not the only one. Um, Carl Icahn, I believe, made yeah, similar Carl Icahn comments. Yeah, Carl a number of times has, he's been talking about it for, I think, about four years off and on. He's made comments about that. Yep. And his, his view is that it is very specifically the bond ETFs that are going to blow up the whole thing um, because not only are they highly concentrated, but in, in a relatively small number of bonds because there's just not, you know, there's just not that many bond offers out there that are, hmm. can handle the amount of money that's coming into bonds right now. And these bond ETFs, therefore, are investing in relatively illiquid companies. It's not like you're buying into uh, Apple where you can get out of it tomorrow with mm. a lot of money. These are illiquid bonds. And when people decide they want to get out of these things, they're not going to have a buyer. There's going to be nobody on the other side. And that's going to crater these ETFs. And when that happens, there's going to be a panic, according to uh, Icon. And that panic will trigger a further panic in the stock market. So he thinks the whole thing unravels from that point of view. Yeah. I mean, and I I asked you last time, you know, like what makes it any different from just a regular crash? And I think the difference is, as you said, just the severity of it, the time-wise, chronologically, the number of company of stocks in in given companies that are going to be sold all at once and won't be able to find buyers all at once. I mean, how many companies... Do you know, like, how many companies are we even talking? Like, what percentage of the market are we even talking about with these things? Uh, a huge percentage of the market, actually. Um, it used to be not so much back in, like, 2008 or so. Yeah, because that's what I'm trying to figure out is how is this different? Because these, different these, these instruments, these, instru- these index, no, from that or from other crashes even before that, because these funds have been around for a long time. But a long time, you know, probably like what, like 20, 30 years, right? Since Vanguard invented the index fund, essentially, right? Yeah, essentially. Yeah, they've, they've been around a long time, um, but not in the volume that they've got now. And that's where the the big change is occurring is that the volume is, I don't, I think three or four times higher than it was or um, even just 10 years ago. What? And, Wait, say that again. Three yeah, or it's four like three times or higher? Four X more money invested in these things than than before. And uh currently Jeez. the market share I knew they were popular, past- but I didn't know they were that popular. Oh yeah, it's it's a big deal. Um according to Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, that market share for passively managed funds, and that means they're not act they're not seeking price. They don't look at something and go, well, that's not a good price. I'm not going to buy it. They're buying the entire package of the index. So if there's 500 stocks in the S&P 500 and you're in a passively managed fund, they're buying everything pro rata that's in the S&P 500 or everything that's in the Dow or everything that's in the NASDAQ. That's mm-hmm. what Vanguard basically invented. That's what John Bogle invented. Yeah. And, um, and now there's so many of them doing that same thing. They become so popular because of their very low fees, number one, relative mm-hmm. to active management, right? So mm-hmm. the the fees are, you guys know the difference between basis points and and uh, percentage points. Uh, Tell us, is, Dad. 
Okay, so it's easier to talk about these low numbers using the words uh, basis points or BIPs, they sometimes call them. Um, so these are, God. there's Can 100. Can I just say financial language, shaking <laughs> my head. Okay, go on. I know, I know. So these, there are 100 BIPs or 100 basis points in one percentage point. So okay. if we were to say, um, you know, how how much interest rates have changed as a result of the Federal Reserve last week, they changed it 25 basis points, which is a quarter of a percent. So a quarter of a percent is 25 basis points. Okay, got it. Right, right. So It just um, makes it sound fancier. Yeah, it does sound a lot fancier. So in any case, the, the market share of these passively managed funds, and that, that, that means that people are going out and, and they are buying the entire index that they're trying to mimic, which is how Vanguard started the whole thing. And they're charging, and it got popular because they're charging these very low fees in, in basis points, not even in, 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 in interest mm, yeah, in totally. percentages. So it used to be that a mutual fund would charge 2% of the assets under management. And today these indexed funds are, or ETFs are charging 20 basis points or 25 basis points, so a quarter of a percent. So down like, you know, whatever that is, 700% or something. Yeah, yeah massively cheaper, um, which is a very big deal. As Bogle, Bogle started the whole industry pointing out that if you pay 2% and your fund manager only a actually manages to just do the market rate of return, he doesn't do Warren Buffett or something, and you're paying 2% for this, you're reducing your retirement capital over a 50-year investment life by 60%. You, you've cut your retirement in half or more by those fees. And so when people started so to realize... Insane. I think yes, we even put those charts in our book. I remember looking at them and, and putting them in. Like It's just so insane, the amount. And, it, over, it, and it's all over time, which... It, Right. It's so it's, hard to comprehend, you know. <laughs> it's a, until it's you a little easier to comprehend chart. if you think, well, okay, they're, they're going to go out and do seven percent or something in my mutual fund, and I'm paying them two to do it. And then you start to see it's a pretty big number that you're taking off the top. That's uh, that's a lot of seven percent, right? That's thirty percent mm -hmm. of your mm -hmm. of your income just got taken away by the fund manager's fee, and that thirty percent haircut that you just got compounded over 40 years adds up to over 50% of your retirement. And so, so people started to go, oh, well. started charging shoot. only a quarter of a percent. But in order to do that, you can't, you can't pay analysts. You, you, right. Your costs have to come way down, right? So right. Bogle's great genius was to say, well, I don't, I don't need to do all that. I just need to buy the stocks in the index in the same proportion that they are in the index and make sure I keep with that so that if the index goes up, I go up. If it goes down, I go down. And um, and that insight came came about as a result of the further insight coming out from modern portfolio theory research that proved, and I'm putting big quotation marks around the word proved, that nobody can beat the market. So this all comes about as a result of modern portfolio theory. This whole idea of indexed investing is a result of Bogle believing that nobody could beat the market, having the the startling insight that if nobody can beat the market, why am I charging for active management? Why don't I just copy the market? 
and that became Vanguard, which is gigantic now, right? That was a so billion-dollar idea. You like read something where he talked about it like that? No, well, Bogle's talked I about it many. T- oh yeah, Bogle is a a guy that is actually absolutely believes you can't beat the market for sure. Oh, that was that became the not, whole impetus behind his investing idea. Oh, I mean, if you can beat the market, then index funds are stupid. Not at all. Index funds are cheap. <laughs> but if you can beat the market, that would be stupid to buy something just because it's cheap if it wasn't going to deliver to you a financial independence that well, you're Well, obviously not everybody's going to beat the market. So you have to know who to choose to manage your money to pay them to go beat the market for you. Not everybody's Warren Buffett, right? So, oh, I thought you were talking about an individual making a choice to invest in an index fund with Bogle, with Vanguard, or do it themselves, which is what we encourage people to think. You know, no, do it I'm talking about somebody investing in a hedge fund and paying somebody an incentive fee or buying an index fund. I think, I mean, for the, from what I understand, right. Bogle and, and Buffett were quite good friends. I think that he believed that it was definitely possible for some people to beat the market. And I think, you know, he believed Buffett did it because Buffett did it. <laughs> and, well, but you, and I, that's I think not the proof. genius... That's I'm not, not proof. The fact that the fact that Buffett did it doesn't mean that Bogle believed that Buffett could do it. What it meant <laughs> is that any more than That's any true. other modern portfolio theorist, all these academics know that Buffett did it, but none of them believe that he actually was doing anything. But from what I've lucky. read, it's that he saw that these indexes had existed for a very long time and thought, why don't I just own that? Like it's, that's the market. And if well, the market's guys can, going up. We, we can answer this on a future podcast of which yes, one of us can. is right here. Um, but and if I will you guys say that, know, email us questions at investedpodcast.com <laughs> because you guys send us the best sources. So I guarantee you, you guys know, just email us some sources. Let us know what, what Bogle has said about it. And in, in all fairness, if Danielle is right, um, then it, it doesn't matter. because because bogle would then say yes i will give you that is true (laughs) bogle would say yes fine there are people out there who are capable of beating the market but you're not one of them (laughs) therefore you should buy my vanguard fund so um so i think he just saw it as an option i don't think he was making a statement about truth or untruth of whether or not people could be, I think he just saw it as a great option that he couldn't figure out why nobody else had created. All right. Fair enough. You might be right. I, I just think he was a, I think he was an ETF. I, I think he was a modern portfolio theory guy, Okay, but I All could right. be wrong. We're going to research. <clears throat> so, so point being that his uh, invention has become a monster as uh, in, in the sense that right now, according to Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, passively managed funds um, are forty five percent of the market of managed money out there, which is crazy huge piece of it, and that takes us to the point that Burry is making, and Icon, that when you have it's it's the amount of money that makes it dangerous, right? It's like yeah. when you have a snowfall up in in Jackson Hole, up on Glory, right? You got the Glory Bowl. Yeah, it's not a big deal until it gets like in terms of an avalanche until it gets to be a lot of snow. And then the avalanche danger becomes severe. It's, it's, 
It's the weight of it all that can make it just release suddenly and have this monster thing happen. And mm-hmm. that's where we are now is that it's the weight of it that could create an avalanche. And Burry is looking at this and going, hey, you know what? The same principles that existed in place in 2007 um, in the, in the uh, subprime bond market for, for real estate exist here. And that principle is, number one, you have Nobel Prize winners. In other words, the geniuses are saying that everything is fine with these subprime bonds based on math. Okay. So the math says everything's good. These are triple A, no problem. And that was coming from Nobel Prize winning uh, uh, views of the market. And today we have the same exact thing. You have everybody, including Warren Buffett, saying that if you're not going to be uh, they don't say anything. They just say you should invest in indexes. That's a, that's yeah. it, straight up. Yeah, basically. So what do okay. we do about it? That's the big question. Well, we let me, let as me, let me make know. sure everybody understands why there's a, such a huge scary problem, um, like the avalanche, and that is that when you have no one or, or less and less people actively trying to figure out what is the real value of Apple. And they're just, and Apple is in a couple of different indexes, right? Yeah. So instead of trying to figure out, is Apple worth $220 a share, $300 a share, $500 a share, right? I mean, at some point you could all see that it would be crazy to be buying Apple at some price, right? We could put, okay, let's make it a thousand a share. That's insane, right? I mean, the company couldn't possibly make enough money in the future to ever justify paying that much for it. But indexed investors don't care. They're not seeking that. They're not asking that question. They're just buying Apple. And if Apple happens to be $1,000 a share, oh, fine, so what? It doesn't matter. Right, and, so and it imagine just, so that, just keeps going up. So here's Burry's point. Imagine that everyone in the market just did index funds, which is what all these guys are suggesting we do. In that case, no one is seeking price discovery at all. And there's nothing to prevent Apple and all the rest of the stocks to go to insanely stupid prices that are completely out of uh, the range of the risk that you're taking, putting money into them. Correct. No one is figuring that out. All right. Now, if that happened, can you imagine that at some point the avalanche would start? Just one yeah, more we went snowflake. Through the, we went through this whole thing. Yes, yeah, the I'm avalanche. Go through it again. <laughs> <laughs> There's one more snowflake and the avalanche begins. And the avalanche happens because as you, let's say now this is you, the listener, has money in index funds. And as they start to go down, you're fine because you're supposed to just sit there and take it. And then you start to get scared because so many people are saying, wow, this is really going down. It's down 20% now. It's down 25% now. And you're sitting there with your retirement account in this thing and it's going down faster every day, and pretty soon you start to get scared. And when that happens, you join the avalanche and you exit, which further terrifies more people, which drives them out of the market. And then instead of the market discovering real value with a price, it just panics out and you end up with a drop like we had in the depression, Mm -hmm. where the panic in the market created a fall down 90%. The stock market disappeared in price 90% 
over a period of a few months. And so when panic becomes, you know, universal, you have that problem. So there's the avalanche. Okay. And that's why it happens, right? Because there's so much weight on it. Now, what do we do about it? Yeah, what do we do so about it? That's where we left off last time. It only took us 20 minutes to get here. What do we do about it, Dad? Well, that's the best part of this, um, is that there is, you have to make a decision if you're going to be part of the of the uh, the mob in these index funds, or you are going to separate yourself from these index funds. That's the first level of, of decision-making. You're either going to keep your money in them, or you're going to take your money out of them. That's, that's, that's the cut and dried point that you have to determine. And you're yeah. going to be in, you're going to be in trouble with your financial advisor. If you say, yeah, get me out of this stuff because they're going to say, you can't pick the top of the market. No one knows when the market's going to stop going up. So you're going to miss out on the next 40% rise yeah, in the market. But let, let's assume that I'm already not in index funds, which is right. So, Okay. How do like the, the those of us who are on board, who are you know deciding what to do with our own money, who aren't so worried about this uncomfortable conversation with the financial advisor? How are you staring down this like if if you believe what Burry says, which I think is probably pretty right, but I'm not a hundred percent convinced. If you believe it, then. No. I mean, I think the only thing to do is wait, right? The only thing to do, well, no, not really. Not no, that's not the only thing to do. What else we is think there about to do? what do, what do we what do we do as investors essentially is we wait anyway, right? I mean, that's the main job of investing is to is to be patient. Mm-hmm. That's the main job, but what's the other part of what we do? We do a ton of research. Yes, we do a ton of research. And that research is going to dive, it's going to be focused. So I want you to focus your research. And I'm, now I'm talking right to you, honey. Is Good. You focus your research. I like it research. better when you talk right to me. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> you want you to focus your research on things that you already are pretty comfortable with. Okay? So you're going to focus on... I mean, this isn't my invention by any means. This is Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger 101. It's also Peter Lynch 101. And in fact, I've got a book for you to read that I'm rereading. This one. Yeah, you know, I got to read that. It's it's one up on Wall Street he's holding up for me. And I have been meaning to read that for three years and haven't made it. So yes, I'm glad you're holding it up. I will go read it. One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch. Right. So the first way to avoid, and and by the way, there's every every reason to think that the market could run straight up another 40%. So remember, I said that because it's going to be, the market can stay irrational longer than you have money. I'm telling you right now that that that's the case when people ask, why aren't we shorting the market? I'm not really hearing anything (laughs) like different from the usual. Well, honey, that's because the usual is the right way to invest. Okay, so, cool. So that's what I need to know. <laughs> so when we're looking at this, I, I'm suggesting all of you guys run out there and buy Peter Lynch's book, One Up on Wall Street. He wrote it back in um, 1999 or 1998. He had a remarkable record. Now, Peter Lynch does not invest the way Buffett does or the way I do. He owned almost everything in the market. I mean, he was 
<laughs> but he owned it in percentages that allowed him to have a great track record. So he would focus on on specific stocks, but he had, he would own as many as fourteen hundred stocks. So let's not get like, oh yeah, this guy is you know he's a a, a rule one type investor. <clears throat> but what he teaches in this book, One Up on Wall Street, is to focus on what you already know, which is really important. And he gives you lots of examples and lots of ideas on how people from various trades, people from various industries, people in various walks of life have all kinds of companies that they already know a lot about. So read that book. Um, and the, the thing that I want you to focus on then while you're in cash is to build a watch list that is absolutely solid. In other words, you know, if these companies go down to the price that you want to buy them at, you're going to buy them. There's no question. It's not like you're going to worry that you've done your work properly. Now that this thing has dropped 50%, you're ready to go. You're ready to pull the trigger and you do. Okay. So we're going to, Yep. Okay, so so it sounds to me like the the what to do about the impending uh, possible ETF index fund giant crash is uh, keep on keeping on. And it doesn't really matter if it's that kind of crash or a different kind of crash. It's when the market drops, be ready, which is what we've been talking about for years, and, which is and great to, to hear. Back, and to bring that back to Michael Burry, I mean, right now, I'm looking at Michael Burry's portfolio. He owns three, six, nine. He owns 10 stocks right now. So here's a guy saying that we're edging toward a monster crash, and yet he's invested, he's got 90 million bucks out there. I don't think that's all the money he's got. I think he's sitting in, in either in short positions or cash. Um, but he certainly owns some companies. And I'll, I'll, but that's actually really interesting because <clears throat> I think, and I, I may be off by a hundred million here or so, but I think his fund is about 350 million, something mm-hmm. like that, which so. means that if he's publicly reporting 90 million of ownership, that's a not large percentage. That is right. a small percentage of his fund. And as right. you said, maybe the rest of it's in shorts or something, but th- it's, that's very interesting. That's such a small percentage is yep. in uh, is in long owned positions. Yeah. So if we were to say, let's say Burry's got four hundred million, just for a round number, and he's got a hundred million in the market, so he's invested 25 percent. <clears throat> His largest positions are ten to fifteen percent of that twenty five percent. So that would make the the largest positions on an average of about two point five percent of his entire portfolio. Mm-hmm. He's sitting a lot in, in cash or a lot in short positions. We, well, we don't and somebody know like him doesn't come out publicly and talk about how they see a crash coming by accident. He seeked out that interview and he knew that he was putting that out there publicly so right. that people would understand probably why he was keeping so much money back. And, I, and I'm looking at the companies he owns here. And I, for the most part, these companies have been pounded into the dirt uh, hmm. for good reason. And so now Michael Burry is, you know, doing his famous research and uh, and really digging in on on these companies better than most people could. And and I'll tell you right now, buying businesses in this market is not jumping over six inch bars. This is 
if you can find something on sale in this market, there's a reason for it. And then you need to really understand that reason and understand why the market's wrong. And that is not a six inch bar. We, we don't try to beat the market by being geniuses <laughs> at this point in time. We more to the case, focus on the companies we absolutely know are great companies. They don't have big problems. We're just waiting for them to go on sale. So I think really that that's that's the I like uh, it. It's a very comforting answer. result. Just keep doing what we're doing. Keep I, doing I, what I always like that advice. And if if nothing goes on sale, then nothing goes on sale and you just wait it out because this market cannot go up forever. And when it stops going up, you're gonna be in a great position. Now, by the way, this is just my opinion. <laughs> I have to say this. This is not advice or recommendations. Don't blame me if your retirement account is not up 40% in a year. Because we do, I will tell you straight up, we have have students who are in mutual funds and indexes, and we do have tools that we use to help determine whether this is when you want to be in them or when you want to be out of them, uh, regardless of the market. You. Me, yeah. Roll one. Yeah. With my students, yeah. So <laughs> let's let's uh, be sure you understand. I'm not making a recommendation here that you be out of the market. I'm not giving you advice to be out of the market. I just want you to understand how really good investors are treating this and remind you that guys like Michael Burry are either short or in cash. Uh, Warren Buffett is not a guy who does shorts. He's just big time in cash right now. So it's a good it's a good point to uh, to know that and then make. Take responsibility, you guys. Take responsibility for your for your for your future, and yeah. and start learning. Really, I yeah. think this is an important yeah. point here: is to yeah. start learning, and not to overdo it. But both Danielle and I have have courses you can take, and I think that it it'd be well, something. Well, mine's for you not to look out into. yet, but it'll be out in a couple of weeks. Yay! Very cool. Exciting. So, if you're really nervous about whether you should even be doing this, Danielle's got a great course coming out in two weeks to help you through that process. And uh, make you strong, not just for investing, but just for making great decisions in your life. Dad, I just had coffee with a friend who just read my book, our book, I should say. And um, and she said, so I'm definitely going to start learning how to invest now because I can't think of anything to do with this market. And so I figured I just have tons of time to learn until it crashes. And I was like... That's yes. perfect. Like you got it. <laughs> I, I mean, I just want you guys to understand that that you know time keeps moving on, and you're not going to be where you are forever. In, in terms of your age, I have a good friend of mine that just came to our class. And I really love this guy. He works really hard. He's a great guy, and he just he broke into tears after class was over because I was talking about how how if you if you're 60 years old and you have ten thousand dollars, you're already broke. You're already broke. Yeah. You you yeah. need to take risk with that capital in order to have a chance to have a retirement. You can't just go invest in indexes. You know, it's just not going to get you anywhere. So it's it's it becomes dramatically more important when you get up toward retirement to have built financial independence. And I'd love to see you start now when you're Danielle's age or younger even, and and start building that financial independence. We'd love to see you live the life you want to live, retire early, do whatever you want to do, and make the world a better place for all of us than to sit here and struggle emotionally with relationships and everything else related to not having enough money in this marketplace. True, true. Um, So next week on that point, 
Uh, we're going to play an interview that I did with the amazing Veronica Dagger, who hosts the Secrets of Wealthy Women podcast and is a Wall Street Journal reporter. And she wrote a book about resilience and spoke to these incredible women who have been through so many failures and picked themselves up and created success. And so we talked about that and the trends that she saw and, um, and how resilience can help us as investors. So I'm super excited to play that next week. And, uh, and then coming up later, we've gotten requests again for Kraft Heinz, which we still haven't done, Dad. We got, uh, yeah. we got a we request to that. talk about the Thomas Cook bankruptcy that's going on. And uh, I don't know. Boy, that's lots a good of, one because that's an, example of a, that's an example of a company that that's, uh, their moat got broken. Yeah, and, uh, totally. We should definitely do that. We yep. should totally talk about it. Okay, so exciting stuff coming up. Check out the interview next week with Veronica, and then uh, we'll be back. We'll be back. We'll Until be back. then, time to go play. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, including show notes and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.